Hey everyone, welcome to the How They Made It podcast, the show that's dedicated to helping you make it in the world of fabrication. I'm your host, Jeremy Cross, and this episode, like all episodes, is brought to you by Sawblade.com. No middleman, no markup, no problem. Sawblade.com. Go direct. Today, I am joined by Martin Stipout. Martin is a surfboard maker based in Santa Cruz, California, and you can follow him uh, on all the major social channels at Ventana Surfboards as well as VentanaSurfboards.com. Martin, man, how's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you, Jeremy? Great, man. Great. Well, uh, so usually kind of just like to start um, at the beginning uh, with these. Where did you uh, where did you grow up and, and kind of what were you into as a kid? Huh, all kinds of things. So real quick, right off the bat, I'll give you a quick correction. My first name's Martijn. Oh, Martijn. Um, I come from a Dutch family. My parents are both Dutch. They ended up emigrating to South Africa um, kind of after their college-aged years, I'll say. Neither of them completed college, I don't think. Um, went to South Africa, met there, and ended up having my brother and myself. Um, so we grew up there in the early 80s. And luckily, um, we managed to get out of South Africa in 1985. Went to Germany, um, spent a few years there, then moved on to the Netherlands, which was really nice to actually be near family. Um, did about five years in the Netherlands and then ended up moving to the United States in 93. Um, and I've been here ever since. My brother has since left. He's back in Germany. Um, my parents left, moved to Mexico for a while and are now back here. Um, so my background's all over the place. I learned lots of different things about different cultures. I learned about, you know, growing up in a third world country. I mean, those are the first impressions of life that I had. Um, so that always stood out. You know, we collected a lot of things from the dump and ended up rebuilding them, refinishing them if we wanted new toys. Um, I remember my dad virtually made our first bicycles by hand. Um, so that's always been instilled in me and I've carried that throughout my life. I've always been very crafty, always been making things. And when, um, you know, now finally in my adult life, I was a sailboat captain and a mate, and I did marine biology for a while, but then it came down to really pursuing what I've always wanted to do, which was build things for a living, and surfboards kind of meshed both of those things. Um, fell in love with surfing when I was in the Netherlands, so I've been doing that for, jeez, almost 30 years now. I'm 42. Um, so a long time, so when I was able to blend the surfboard building with that, as well as using sustainable products, it kind of completed the circle for me. Wow, that's incredible. What uh, what line of work were your, your parents in that, that you were able to, to travel so much kind of growing up? Uh, my mom probably had the worst job, which was housewife. My father worked for Siemens, which is a German tech company. Um, and he always kind of took shorter contracts in different places. And they like to move around, they like to travel around. Fantastic. What was, I mean, did you have kind of like a, like a favorite place um, that, that you experienced growing up? I, I got to imagine they all kind of had their like, you know, pros and cons. Exactly. Um, there were very different phases of my life. So, you know, born till five years old, I was in South Africa. I think my heart will always be in South Africa um, from there. But, you know, that was, you're a little kid. So the, the memories are few. Um, but the, the fond ones are there. Then Germany was kind of, you know, remembering more from that childhood, growing up in a really small town, um, definitely being the outsiders. There weren't any people from not this place of a thousand folks. Um, so we were the outsiders, but it was nice. We made some good friends. We grew up in the woods. We 
could do it and leave what we wanted. You know, there were days where we had to ski to school because everything was snowy and icy. Then moving to the Netherlands kind of was eight to 13. So I kind of came into, you know, a young teenager, discovered surfing, discovered mountain biking, and really kind of, yeah, became more of a, the person that I am today. And then of course, moving to the United States, it had always been some unachievable thing to even visit the United States. And then we moved here. I'd started surfing about a year before. So moving near Santa Cruz to San Jose was just mind blowing that it could ever happen. Um, so it was really neat. In my teenage years, I spent in San Jose and I mountain biked all day long, every day. I mean, that's all we did, uh, my friends and I. And then I surfed a lot as soon as one of us had a driver's license. We spent a lot of time over here. And then the day I graduated, I moved to this side of the hill to Santa Cruz and we've been here ever since now. Um, so it's, I don't really have a favorite place. They've all been so different. Um, you know, this is where I've matured. This is where I've really grown up. So yeah. this is definitely what I know best. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's funny. I, Netherlands, um, it's not like the first place that necessarily comes to mind when I think of, of surfing. Like, is, is there a big like surfing culture and, and, and what is kind of like the surfing like there? Well, now there is, but I think that's worldwide. Uh, you know, and I started surfing in like 1991. It was pretty neat. I went to a German school. We continued with the German school system. It was a little better than the Dutch public school system. So I was in The Hague. Um, everybody there was German. You know, we were Dutch, but you know, there was one other Dutch kid in my class and he got bullied a lot. And I ended up kind of being his friend because we had things in common. Um, and he took me boogie boarding. He's like, dude, you need to get in the water. And I was skimboarding for a while. My brother and I built some skimboards when we were, I don't know, eight or nine. Uh, but then he said, let's go boogie boarding. And then we started boogie boarding. And then he showed me the first surfboard I'd ever really seen at this place called Hart Surf Shop in Scheveningen, which I don't know if it still exists. Um, but there was no surf culture. There was a lot of surf kayaking. My dad was always a surf kayaker um, from way back when I can remember. Um, and I grew up in kayaks. So we'd go to the beach a lot with him surf kayaking and I'd watch and I'd always be fascinated. Um, but I don't really remember ever seeing surfers. Yeah. So it was, it was quite neat. And then to come here, it just, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. From, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Into, into the, to the heart of, of surf culture. Um, you, you'd kind of, yeah. you, you mentioned that, you, you know, you made your, your, your first, uh, you know, bored at, at eight or nine and your dad also kind of like made your first bikes. Like, did you guys have like a, a shop at the, at the house? Did he kind of encourage you to, to, to make things? Like, how did that kind of come about? Mm, I think the problem was he couldn't stop me. <laughs> <laughs> we, I don't, in South Africa, geez, I don't remember the garage, but I do remember just running around while dad was laying bricks, building the house. Um, and just, you know, he, he helped with building a lot of the house. Uh, Germany, Germany, we had a workshop. We had a real cool house on the side of a hill and we had kind of a half basement and he had a nice little wood shop. I just remember the radial arm saw and how crazy that tool was to me. Uh, and he made virtually all of our beds and things like that in Germany. Um, less so once we moved on to the Netherlands, uh, you know, a lot tighter living quarters. We lived in, you know, a connected house. I don't know how else to call it. Um, whereas everywhere else we'd had, you know, a big yard, everything, not in the Netherlands. So he didn't do any woodworking there. Um, and then 
once we moved to the United States. We had a nice place in San Jose. Um, he took the garage. That was his workspace, essentially. Um, and then we built a shed on the side of the house where I worked on surfboards, fixed surfboards and mountain bikes. And we built another shed for my brother to play drums because nobody wanted him in the house. And we built a porch or a third shed for my mom to do her painting down in the lower yard. So we all had our little zones. Um, so it's always been in me to have some sort of workspace and to, to creatively not be able to stop. Yeah, that's awesome. How old were you when you kind of made your first surfboard? And do you, do you remember that board? Like, what, what was it like? Yeah, surfboard, definitely. I was 28, 29. I was here. Um, I'd never done a foam surfboard. I repaired a lot of foam surfboards because I could only afford junkers. Uh, the first surfboard I built, though, was a wood surfboard. Looked amazing. Spent so much time making it look good. It doesn't surf very well. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of mistakes that I made that I just didn't realize, um, which I think is normal and is a real good thing. The second board turned out like magic. Um, I don't think I've ever surfed anything as fun as that board, and I, I killed it. I killed that board. First skim boards, I guess, we made when we were, I think, nine years old. Just marine ply, shaped it, glassed it, uh, polyester resin in the backyard. In the Netherlands, fun. Yeah. Yeah, like, t talk to me a little bit about, because, like, like modern surfboards, if, if I understand it right, um, most modern surfboards are, are made of, of foam, um, and, like, more traditional surfboards are, are wood. What's kind of the difference uh, between the two? huge amount of differences uh i mean you're essentially you're creating the same craft and as long as you make the end result the same as far as dimensions and shape and those type of things go a wood's board is going to be a little heavier um, almost guaranteed uh depending on well no almost guaranteed that it's going to be a little bit heavier so that's going to make it surf differently it's going to carry a little bit more momentum it's going to have a little bit more drive it's going to be more difficult probably to do, you know, pretty hardcore maneuvers. If you're trying to do aerials or off the lips or things like that, you're just pushing a lot more weight around. Um, but they're, to me, they seem like battleships in an ocean. You know, you can, if it's windy, if it's choppy, eh, they just kind of plow through it. Whereas foam boards just absorb the chatter a lot different. Um, so, I mean, wood was the norm until World War II brought us fiberglass and foam. And then people realized how easy it was to switch. And then foam became the norm. And recently, you know, in the last couple of decades, it's kind of made a resurgence of backyard builders. And then when I started as a business in 2011, uh, there really weren't that many wood board builders. And now there's quite a few more, which is great to see. I mean, I always support yeah. trying to look at different materials. Absolutely. So 2011, you start the business. Like what kind of makes you want to go all in uh, on, on wood surfboards? Um, I think the main driving factor is unemployment. <laughs> I took a big trip with my father. <clears throat> um, we built a couple boats, went down the Sea of Cortez and spent a few months in Mexico. And on the duration of that trip, I lost my position on the boat I was working on. So I had some, some choices to make when I came back. I'd done a lot of whale watching, I'd done a lot of charter boats, I've done some sailing instruction, things like that. And, you know, after so many years, to me, it basically turned out that, well, 
it's really fun. It's beautiful being on the ocean. I mean, that is great, but ultimately you're just driving a boat in circles and coming right back. And, and it wasn't fulfilling the need that I had inside of me. I'd started building surfboards a couple of years before I lost that job. Um, and the main purpose of that job was to do um, education and it was educating people on the the environmental waste that we're creating in the oceans and, and, and what we're doing to our oceans and our environment. Um, so I really started looking at my surfboards as well and going, all right, there's got to be a better option. Um, through kind of my dad's encouragement, I looked at wood surfboards and then went that way. So when I lost my job, I, you know, I was like, well, do I find another boat to drive? I don't really want to do that. You know, I have my bachelor's in marine biology. But I'd done enough with research and supported enough research to realize that was mostly grant writing and it was cutthroat. People didn't work with each other. It doesn't seem like they're actually working for a common goal. They're just working for the funding. So it wasn't a direction I wanted to go. Um, so I figured the worst thing that could happen is I end up with half of America in debt and a business that fails. But you know, the best thing that could happen is I produce an actual good product and, and people support it and I can make a living for myself by doing something that I wholeheartedly stand behind and support. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of, you know, that was the big game changer is being forced into a new direction and then luckily having the option to choose that direction and to make it happen with a very supporting family. Yeah. You, you, you've certainly done that. Talk to me a little bit about kind of the, um, the materials, uh, that you use and kind of like the, the process for creating your boards. So nowadays, the materials I use, I probably use 90% reclaimed woods. Um, the only thing I have to purchase new is the plywood for the interior and uh, the cork for the rails. Um, so most of it is, is donation-based. We don't, well, most of it, all of it is donation-based. We don't pay for wood. That's kind of always been our rule. Um, started almost day one with my business. Out of frugality back then, I went to the dump, picked up nice wood. Um, there's plenty of it out there and repurposed that and built boards. Um, but once I started realizing, you know, there's some real historic woods, there's woods with story that we can get. Um, it, it took the business to another level from just saying, oh, yeah, this is repurposed trash. It's cool. To now saying this is repurposed trash that John Steinbeck's life depended on, you know, so it's, it's um, the woods we use. We try to source things with interesting stories, with personal connections that people can make. Um, but we also get just plenty of wood that's donated, you know, let's say by cabinet shops or builders or other folks that have something interesting. And they say, I don't want to trash this. I love what you do. Can you reuse this for some reason? So even if it doesn't necessarily have the great glorious story, um, it's still trash wood that we want to keep out of the landfill. We built partnerships on that. Uh, saying that we don't pay for wood is not necessarily true. So David, my business partner, does a lot of marketing and does a lot of um, collaborations with businesses that help us out. You know, if you give us a piece of wood, it, as long as you are okay with it and want it, we tag you on everything we do with it. You get to see the final product out of it. You know, we mention it every single time we talk about it, and it makes a difference to us. Um, so that's kind of where the materials have gone. I've built a lot of boards recently also where the customers supply some of the parts. You know, they say, hey, this is a branch from a walnut tree on dad's property. Can you build it into the board? I'd love to. 
you know, that makes it uh, really a close connection for people. That's awesome. So, so it doesn't necessarily have to be like a starting with like a single piece of, of wood that you, that you shape into the board. You're actually like connecting different pieces. How, like, how does that work? Like, what do you use to, to, to connect the pieces? Um, so essentially what I do is I create a skin that goes over the, the frame structure. It's a hollow frame structure, much like an airplane wing, if you can visualize that. Um, and then it gets skinned with wood on the top and bottom and the cork gets added to the rails uh, to kind of complete the box or to round off the box. So these skins that I produce are about 3 sixteenths um, in thickness, 3 sixteenths of an inch in thickness. So sometimes if I'm lucky, I get big pieces of donated wood, but you know, the kind of nature of the beast with donated lumber is it's not always lumber, it's scrap. So I get a lot of little stuff. So it's figuring out a design, figuring out a deck that I can actually produce and that I want to produce. And then it's gluing things together, much like a puzzle, at which point it's still fairly fragile. Um, but I fiberglass the inside of the board as well as the outside of the board. So it's in doing that, you're essentially creating sort of a plywood structure, a multi-layered structure. Um, so you can be thin, but you get a lot of strength out of it. Um, for example, we get... Or, for years, I was picking up all the offcuts from Santa Cruz Guitar Company, one of the top guitar makers in the world um, that are local. And some of those pieces, I mean, it's a, a square inch of Coca-Bolo, but it's so beautiful. And otherwise, that square inch of Coca-Bolo would be turned into methane and compost and whatever else. So I'll hold on to it, use it. And then, you know, at some point, I end up building boards that use... 1400 individual laser cut scales to complete you know six foot board so then i get to use the little bits um so it's, it's all dimensions and it's you know it's basically just figuring out a pattern figuring out how to put it all together and then creating that sheet and bonding the sheet to the frame structure that's incredible um i'm actually looking at some of your your designs right now you have like really cool patterns um and, and just, just designs overall, like what is your approach for, for creating patterns? Like, do you sketch things out? Is it all just kind of like in your head? Like talk me through that kind of process. Uh, well, there's a reason I'm a woodworker and not a sketch artist because that just usually doesn't work. So I tend not to sketch out too many designs unless a customer requests it um, or I'm really having a hard time kind of composing it. Two different ways. If it's a custom board, which probably 75% of our business is, um, and then the customer usually has some idea of what they want to say, okay, I want a kelp forest board and I want, you know, let's add a sea otter swimming through it and, you know, different invertebrates on the bottom. So then it's kind of figuring out, okay, which woods do I have? Which woods match that aesthetic? How can I make it look like kelp? Um, what do we do here? So that's one approach to it. Um, and the other one is kind of, well, similar is, you know, if I say, okay, I want to build a, a stock board, but I want to do a rising sun, then I'll figure out which woods I have. And that usually limits me to either the size board I make or which pattern I do. Um, or I guess the third option would be that I have a bunch of wood that I want to use. I just want to use it for something. So I lay it all out on the table and stare at it until something says, build me. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Really, that's unfortunately as good as I can describe. Yeah, it. yeah, absolutely. I know. The, the, I mean, the, the the creative process is. Uh, I mean, it's just a little bit of magic uh, every time. It feels like. Um, yeah. 
so talk to me kind of going back to, to when you, you just started. Um, how did you go about, you know, finding your, your initial customers and, and growing the business kind of in the, the early days? Was it like a lot of social media, word of mouth? Like kind of what did you do there? So V1 of Ventana um, was with a college friend. So he, I surfed with him a whole bunch. You know, I'd spent plenty of time with him. He'd built a couple foam surfboards, which were okay. They weren't great, um, but definitely something that could, you know, be learned, could be done. Um, and he was in the same boat as me. He didn't really know what to do. He graduated a few years before. He was just filling time. So we started the business and he didn't do social media, just didn't do it. I'm not, well, Ventana is very present on social media. However, Martin, not so much. That's why I have David. Um, so I didn't do very much marketing either. My brother is a, a photographer in Germany. So when we launched the business, he came out, he did a bunch of photography for us. He made some really cool shots, put together a flyer, business cards, etc. And then we built a dozen boards or so um, and took a road trip down to San Diego and back and went to different shops, see if they wanted to carry boards or hand planes. And um, the only one that bit was Bird Surf Shed in San Diego. So that was pretty cool. We got to leave a board there for sale, um, which ended up selling, which was really nice. Um, but that's kind of how we initially made our presence known. And then the rest of it was locally. We had a few friends that were in different media outlets at Good Times, which is a monthly publication here, a free publication. We had somebody in the local newspaper. So we got little articles written about us because as far as I know, we were the only wooden surfboard builders in town at that point, um, which was quite neat. And uh, we also had some friends that ran a retail store downtown, quite a, a high-end retail store. And we did a first Friday art show there. We had a couple of different events there. Um, so in the beginning, it was all local, all word of mouth. Then towards the end of our business partnership, the version one, um, I was contacted by Starbucks and they wanted to make a commercial video. Um, and they wanted to, you know, it was called the art of the craft, which was pretty cool. And they were quite specific on kind of wanting to film my background and my craft. And that, you know, it's probably the, the nail that shut the or that sealed the coffin on that partnership. But, um, we produced this incredible video and then had a big launch party for that. That took off pretty well. Uh, my social media was still non-existent. I have no idea if it made an impact or how much it could have made an impact if I'd been present. But after that, I spent about two years in a small barn in rural um, Watsonville, just working out of the barn, selling boards through a gallery in, the, in Capitola, another small town here locally. So I wasn't really getting much business from far away, anything like that. It was just through the gallery. And the galleries are tough because they take a big percentage, but she was selling. And my living situation was very simple, so I didn't need to make very much money. Um, so it worked out well. Towards the end of that partner, or towards the end of that, um, I ended up meeting David through a couple strange turns of events, which was really neat. Um, and once we partnered up, you know, it was clear that he wasn't allowed to cut any wood or touch my tools. And it was also very clear that I was nowhere in social media. So I needed help. 
and he just he's such a huge fan of of what I build and he loves what we've built the company based around and the collaborations he comes up with and the marketing he comes up with in my mind is phenomenal and to have you know a partnership that works that well with such a great division of tasks it's just you know is really taking the business to the next level and that's all because of that social media presence I think a vast majority of our sales come straight through Instagram. Fantastic. So, so are, are most of those sales, um, I would, I would imagine like custom commissions, like do, do people have kind of like an idea of what they want in that situation or is it more kind of like they're looking to you to, to kind of like apply your skills and craft to just create something that, that wows them? Um, I think a majority of the time people have an idea of what they want if it's not already what they want. You know, if we post a board, either that's sold or hasn't sold, um, people will snatch those up or they'll say, oh, you know, I'd like that one. Well, that one is sold. Uh, can you build another? Sure. Hopefully I have the same pieces of wood. Otherwise, I'll try to match it. You know, that's another very difficult part is trying to create two of the same with most pieces of, you know, of lumber, I don't have that much available. So to duplicate something can be very difficult. Yeah. You mentioned you're kind of like on, uh, you know, version two of the, uh, the company as you, as you look kind of to the, to the future, like, is there like a version three? Do you have like some, some goals that you want to achieve or what is kind of like the long-term vision, uh, of the brand? Um, That's a good question. <laughs> we go back and forth quite often. You know, it's we've kicked around the idea and we've wanted to open a retail space. The problem with it is this isn't David's primary gig, so he can't put that time and effort into it. Obviously, if we do that and I am responsible for running a retail space, there isn't gonna be any woodworking that's gonna be done. So ideally that would come with a third part. Um, we've explored, you know, trying to find somebody to run a store or hire somebody that could set it up, etc. And we're just having a really hard time finding people that line up with our vision as much as we do, that don't bend the lines as much as we do. Um, as understandable as it is to fill a retail shop with you know, products that you're 100% behind is difficult. Um, so we're not sure if that's going to be in our near future. I think a lot of it depends on if we take on a third partner. Um, and we've been talking about that for quite a while. I think that would allow us to kind of take the business in a bigger direction, in a new direction. Uh, it would take a little bit of that stress off of David. I mean, he has a family and a career. Um, it would obviously allow me to continue doing what I'm doing. Um, even though boards aren't necessarily the big part of the business, the accessories and the whole brand itself is very successful. Um, without the boards, you know, you're, you're walking around with a t-shirt that says window in Spanish. So there, <laughs> it all has to come together. It all has to be relative. Um, I, I would love to teach future generations how to do this. You know, I see kids nowadays, it's all about instant gratification. It's all about things that they can do quickly or technology does, you know, kids are afraid to cut their fingers. Um, they're afraid to get dusty. They're, you know, to tackle a project that's going to take a while is, is just almost unforeseeable. Um, and I'm talking about the, the, you know, the general populace of what I experience. 
And I have a five-year-old daughter. She's getting older, and I want her to see these things happen, and I want to see the you know next generations doing that. Yeah. I've always had a dream of kind of opening almost an educational center as well as a business and produce surfboards, produce what we do, maybe have a retail shop showroom, but dedicate a large amount of space to doing classes and to you know, focusing mostly on kids, not on the 45 year old surfer that wants to build a wood surfboard, but rather teach future generations yeah. um, and make sure that, that people understand that working by hand is very gratifying and that it's very important. You know, if these skills get lost, then we're completely dependent on others that will do it. Yeah, that's 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 incredible. That's a, and that's a perfect segue to uh, just have kind of one more more question. This has been absolutely fantastic. Um, but it's it's obvious that you've you've developed a very kind of purpose driven brand, and you've been very successful at it. Um, knowing that you know you kind of want to maybe inspire that next generation. Is there like a, a something that you've learned, a piece of advice, or just kind of like an overarching philosophy or message um, that you would want to kind of impart on that next generation, maybe that, that 13, 14, 15-year-old kid that's that's just kind of getting started who might want to follow in your footsteps? And if so, kind of what is that? Um, yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, getting deep. Yeah. I think, you know, if you do spend time on Instagram, you do spend time on social media. And I admit I do as well. Um, and you see projects that maybe you're like, wow, how does that happen? How do you do that? How can that be done? Look into it further. You don't don't just keep going. Maybe look into it further and see if it's something that you can do. And once you start looking into things like that, they're not scary. Building a surfboard is not scary. Building a surfboard is not difficult. You just need patience and you need to dedicate yourself to it wholeheartedly. You know, you need to be focusing on that, not thinking about other things and trying to do something on the side or rushing through a job to finish, see the result. You know, put your time and effort into it and spend some good quality time thinking about what you're doing. And, and I don't know, I guess, don't be afraid of those projects. And it doesn't necessarily have to be woodworking. Even if you see something where somebody created somebody something digitally, if it's a big project that's intimidating, look into it because it's not. Yeah. Everybody had to learn somewhere and they're all just little steps. As long as you try to learn the little steps, you're going to learn the big thing. And I think for me as a woodworker, it's always easy to kind of shun technology and say, you know, no, don't, you know, you're spending all this time online. You're spending all this time doing this, doing that. Don't use a laser. Don't use a CNC. I embrace those things. I use a laser cutter to cut my frames. I use a CNC to shape hand planes, a CNC router. I use technology. And for the younger generations out there, they're so good, so fast with learning technology and learning those types of tools that don't go one way or the other. Blend them. You know, use that to your advantage. If you can model things, if you can create things digitally and then figure out how to reproduce that and how to do things by hand and combine those two skills, you're invincible. Because that's something that's going to be able to do you some good in the future. Not only are you going to be able to do things at home, you're going to be able to do things at work, and you're just going to be a, a more well-rounded person. And I don't think it necessarily depends on the discipline, if it's woodworking, if it's um, you know, pottery or, or painting or any of those things, it's learning the steps. I never thought school was important. It didn't, you know, I, 
I don't remember Greek history. I don't remember all those things. But what I did take away from school is I learned how to learn. And that's the important thing. It's, you know, it's, it's, it all comes down to these little steps. One thing has to go to the next thing. Before that, nothing else happens. So, you know, break it down into basics and really don't be afraid. Man. Challenge yourself. Fantastic. Fantastic advice. Well, man, this has absolutely flown by. Um, I can't thank you enough for uh, for coming on. Uh, one more time, uh, do you just want to let people know kind of where they can, can check out your, your work and uh, best place to, to get in touch with you? Absolutely. Um, Ventana Surfboards, across all social media platforms, I believe. Um, and VentanaSurfboards.com. And you can find our email address there. Um, I think Instagram's kind of our big one. That's where we post most of our... our um, our new content and things like that. So awesome. Check it out. Well, highly encourage everyone to do that. It's beautiful work. Um, thank you again so much for, for coming on and, uh, and thank you all to, uh, everyone who, uh, who listened, uh, please be sure to also follow sawblade.com on all the uh, social channels and be sure to, uh, like comment and subscribe to this podcast as well. So you can stay up to date on all the future episodes. Uh, once again, thanks for, for checking it out and, uh, until next time we'll see ya.